Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Intentional Performance Podcast. I'm Brian Levinson. So excited to have you with us today. And before we get started, I want to just talk a little bit about our partnership with Two Betty. So if you've listened to podcasts before, you know we try to get all kinds of different performers on here, including nutritionists, strength and conditioning coach, sports psychologist. We really try to take the whole person into account when thinking about performance. And Two Betty's is a game changer in the snack industry. So I was recently introduced to Two Betty's Rounds. They look like mini donuts, but they're far from donuts. Uh, They're circular snacks. They're 100% natural, grain-free, and sweetened only with a touch of maple syrup and honey. Uh, They're chewy. They're delicious. They're just a great way to start and fuel your day. So if you go over to twobetties.com, that's the number two in the word bettys.com, click on their promo code and type in the word intentional, and they're actually giving intentional performers listeners 15% off their first order. So go check out Two Betties, and I know you and your stomach will be glad that you did. I also want to talk to you about our Patreon homepage. So if you go over to patreon.com backslash intentional performers, you can see what we're doing over there with our subscription model. We've been really fortunate to get a lot of people to support the podcast. If you enjoy listening, we really would appreciate if you could throw us a couple bones for as little as $2 a month. You can help make this thing uh, keep going as it's been going so we can have great guests like we have on today. Uh, For $5 or $10 a month, we're actually going to give you a shout out on the show which we are going to do right now. So Private Prep has been a big supporter of mine. We collaborate on a lot of different projects, including a program that we do called Performance Prep. Uh, Private Prep is a tutor company. So they work in New York, Washington, D.C., Florida, Los Angeles, California, and all over the world to help prepare people for academics. So they do a lot of work in the SATs, with the ACTs, with final exams, with all kinds of different tests. And their tutors are some of the best tutors that you'll ever find. They are far more educated than I am. And we actually created a partnership where I help coach those tutors on the mental side of test taking. So we've got a great program, as I said, that we call Performance Prep, and that's integrated into everything that they do at Private Prep. So they're a very holistic company that tries to take the human into account when thinking about performance. So go check them out at privateprep.com. And thanks to Private Prep for supporting the podcast. Uh, So without further ado, I'm ready to cue the music, and then we will introduce today's awesome guest. And during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. thing you got to remember is you're transferring energy and whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are going to have you are listening to intentional performers with brian levinson where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self 
As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life. Now, let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levinson. These podcasts aim to find out how performers are intentionally setting their mind to be their best when they're preparing, when they're performing. So we will get into the intentional, tangible actions that they're taking to improve their mindset and in turn help them develop their mental toughness. And today we chat with Candace Parker. Candace is a professional basketball player. She plays in the WNBA. She also plays overseas. She's played in Russia. She's now playing in China. She's traveled the world playing basketball, and she's one of the best to ever do so. And I don't say that lightly. Her resume is really impressive. Here are some items from her resume. She was a two-time Gatorade National Player of the Year in high school, becoming the first female to achieve that. She helped Tennessee win back-to-back championships when she was in college. She also won the Player of the Year uh, while in college. She then was the first pick of the WNBA draft. She has been a WNBA MVP twice. Uh, She helped lead the Los Angeles Sparks to a championship a year ago. And then this last year, she also helped lead them to the finals. She's WNBA Finals MVP when they won it all a year ago. Uh, She's been an all-star. She's been an all-first team player. She's played for the national team. She's won championships overseas in Russia. Look, she she has done all kinds of amazing things. She was the AP Female Athlete of the Year in 2008. She's won gold medals with our U.S. national team. So her resume is incredible, and I don't take it lightly, and I don't say that lightly. But what you'll find really quickly in this conversation is that Candice is somebody who's still trying to grow, still trying to evolve, still trying to develop. And I think that's part of what makes her great is she's not complacent with where she is. So she's constantly trying to get better, trying to move forward, trying to improve her craft, and she'll talk about where that comes from. So her dad definitely had a big influence on her. Her brothers, who she calls her heroes or role models, they had a big influence on her. Pat Summit had a massive influence on her. So she's very grateful to those people who have nudged her along the way. And she studies greatness. So she'll talk about studying Kobe Bryant, who played in the same city, and observing Kobe Bryant and some of the things that he would do. And Candace is somebody who is very into the psychology of sport. So she starts off by saying right away, hey, I'm, I'm into the psychology of sport, trying to learn. She said she minored in psychology when she was at Tennessee. And she's going to give us some tangible examples of how she uses her mindset to be her best. And she's very clear about that she hasn't always been great with her mindset and that there are times where she hasn't been her best in her pro career. So even though she has all of those accolades and they're certainly impressive, she still considers herself to be a work in progress. And I think that humility is what drives her and that humility helps her evolve and develop and understand that she's never going to truly arrive. And because of that, maybe she will continue to push the envelope on what she's capable of doing. So this is a rich conversation. Candace is really gracious with her time and opens herself up and shows herself and is very vulnerable and is very unafraid to talk about times where maybe she hasn't been at her best, but she'll also share with you some of the things that she has done over the years to be her best self. 
So I know you're going to love this conversation with Candace. And when you do, we would love for you to share it. Share it on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, social media. Candace, you can also follow her on Twitter and Instagram. And we'll put that information in the show notes. And she'll also announce where that is at the end as well. Um, but thank you all for listening to this. Thank you to Candace for coming on the podcast. And without further ado, I'm so excited to present to you, Candace Parker. Candace, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I know you're busy and, and getting ready to, you guys, the WNBA players, or I should say professional basketball players, I've worked with a few. Um, I don't think people realize how crazy uh, the life is um, as far as travel and year long. I would love to just start, give people some perspective as far as what a typical year looks like for a professional female basketball player, if they're lucky enough to play uh, both professionally in the United States and professionally overseas. So paint that picture for us. I'd love to start there and then, and then take off from there. Thanks so much for having me. You know, I, um, I really appreciate it, first of all. Uh, but I don't think people understand. I don't think I understood, you know, when I started out, uh, when I set out to be a professional, what all was required. And I say that in the sense of when you're in college, you dream of being in the WNBA. And I remember we won a national championship in 2008. Um, the draft was the very next day. So I got drafted into the WNBA the day after I completed my college eligibility. We won a championship, got drafted. I was in LA. Season started that summer. So I started the season a month and a half after I was finished playing in college, played that whole season, and you signed to play overseas. So professional women's basketball is an all year thing. Um, if you get two to three weeks off, it's a blessing. And, um, I think with that in mind, you really have to be, you really have to love the game and you really have to take care of yourself and the mind and the body because you can get, you know, you can get worn out pretty quickly because this is something that you're doing for 350 days a year. 340 days a year with um, very limited time off. Can you give us some insight into what you do to take care of the mind and the body? Um, you know, what sort of things do you do to make sure that you are your best self? Well, first of all, I'm fortunate because I am truly, truly, truly every ounce, every cell in the depth of me passionate about basketball. I've, I've eat, sleep, slept and breathed basketball since I was in seventh grade. Why? Where does that come from? I fell in love with it and it was a natural thing. My parents didn't push me to play basketball. Um, I remember I didn't want to play. I was hesitant to play basketball because my brothers both played and I wanted to have my own thing. So I played soccer and then in seventh grade, I finally was like, I really want to play. So my dad coached me and I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the game of basketball. Um, everything I did was a result of it. Um, I wanted to do well in school for basketball. I wanted to, you know, I, I didn't go out to the movies to my, with my friends all that much on Fridays. I went to the gym. Like it just was something that took over me. And so I think for me, I don't have to find passion. I don't have to find the love. And I'm very fortunate for that. So anytime a ball is bouncing, I want to be there. I want to play. I want to be a part of it. Anytime a game's on TV, I, I really want to be a part of it. Can you share specifically what you love about it? Because I hear that all the time. Um, but I think a lot of people say that they love it um, and they can't necessarily put their finger on it. So like, what do you love about basketball? And, and maybe it's changed over the years or maybe it's the same as when you were 13 years old and 
going and working, you know, out on a Friday night in an empty court. I love the creativity. I love how every single possession, every single practice, every single game, it's an opportunity for you to kind of like put your fingerprint on it, like to leave your mark. And I'm a super outside of the box thinker. I'm very creative in like my thought and like the way I look at things. And I just love basketball because it's not monotonous. It's not the same thing every single time. There's so much that you can do better. Like the best players in the entire world, there's something that they can do better. And I love it. Like, that's why I love it. Was that the case when you were 13? Was, or were you just like, this is fun. I'm just going to play it because it was fun. Like, as you think back on your career, when like that's a pretty in-depth answer, right? Creativity, the idea that I can always get better, um, the idea that it's never the same and it's, it's not monotonous. And by the way, there are sports like swimming and golf that are more of that. They require some creativity in other ways or track and cross country. But um, for you, when you were 13, did you have that realization? And I know your, your older brother played you know, in the NBA, your dad played at a high level. So you had them sort of as, as models, but like, when did you start connecting those dots about what you loved about it? Well, I love to not be the same, if that makes sense. Um, I'm one of those people that's like, I've never been the same. I've always been the tallest. I've always been the only girl. I've always been like, I've always been different. So for me, it was more about I'm 6'4". Well, 6'4", people don't handle the ball. Well, I'm going to handle the ball. Like, it was more like that. So I love the fact that when I was 13... You know, at that time, it was like you'd go to the playground and girls didn't play basketball like that. I mean, they played, but it wasn't something that people were respected and known for. And so for me, you know, I was the girl that went to the park and wanted to be picked first and like would get picked last the first game. And then the next game they would be like, oh, OK. And they pick me first. So and it's kind of like boys. Are you playing with boys there? Yeah, I play with boys at recess. And then like on my neighborhood block, we would play. And I just love the creativity. I love to like you know, I guess, destroy people's expectations of what you are and who you are and what you can be, I guess. And the expectation is such a big word. And that was something that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, and we're going to jump around a little bit and it's all good. It's, oh, that's perfect. It's, that's what I that's like how my do. mind works. <laughs> we'll, we'll tap into that creativity. So like expectation, I was curious from your perspective, back-to-back uh, -back Gatorade player of the year in high school, you go to a school like Tennessee, uh, first pick of the draft in WNBA. So from the outside looking in, it looks like expectations are a big deal. How do you think about those expectations as you think about your steps along the way? Well, I think I was fortunate because before I had expectations of myself, those people around me had higher expectations than I could have ever imagined. And then as I got older, my expectations surpassed theirs. So if that makes any sense, when I was younger, like my dad was so hard on me and he expected so much of me. And I think at times I didn't really understand it or appreciate it. But then as I got older, my expectations are way bigger for myself than anybody else could have for me. What are your expectations of yourself as you sit, sit here today? What are your expectations for yourself? Well, I learned that you have to put things into measurement, like you have to be tangible with your expectations and your goals, if that makes sense. And a lot of people say a lot of things, but you can't really measure that. And I'm into like being able to measure 
getting better, being able to measure improvement. And so I always put tangible expectations on myself. So I want to shoot this percentage from the free throw line. Then you say, how, how are you going to do this? Okay, well, I'm going to devote this much time to making free throws per day or at practice. I'm going to spend this much time afterwards making free throws. Um, I want to be a better shooter. Would you write that down? Like, are you writing that stuff down? I wrote a journal. Um, I got away from it when I was in college, my junior and senior year, but my, from then on, I've kept a journal, like goal journal. And my dad and I talk about it every year is to get 25% better. And we measure it, you know, it's tangible things. And, um, and I keep, I keep a journal. I kept a journal through injury and it was the biggest thing for me and making sure that day to day I stay focused. Talk to me about being hurt. What was your mindset like when you're hurt, uh, pregnant? Like there's, there's other factors that go into being a female athlete as well. Um, walk us through those times where, where the basketball is taken away from you and, and what your mindset was like and what you learned from that process and, and what that was like for you. It's crazy because, I mean, it was July 11, 2003 is when I first tore my ACL. And it's crazy because every year I kind of measure where I am at that point in the year. It's kind of like an anniversary in sorts to to measure where I am, where I was, where I want to be. And to have something that you love so much and you spend so much of your life and put every ounce of yourself into it, to have it taken away from you it's a process, you know, it's hard, it's tough. But looking back, I didn't understand at the time when people would tell me this, but looking back, they would say, this is going to be a good thing for you. And I don't think I would be who I am or half is who I am or what I am without these injuries. Um, I think it, it's bigger than basketball. Like when you get injured, you realize like you can kind of make it through anything. Like you can persevere You have to take it step by step, day by day. You can't get too far ahead of yourself. You're going to have obstacles that you go through, but you just got to stay the course, stay the journey. Uh, Don't worry about the destination. It'll take care of itself. You mentioned creativity earlier. Do you show your creativity in ways outside of basketball? Um, And did you discover anything maybe when you were hurt or when you were out? Um, Was there any other passion because uh, look, basketball is what you do. It's not necessarily who you are. And I get being obsessed and, and wanting to, you know, and being extremely passionate about it. But like, there's a guy in your city, uh, Kobe, right? Who is as obsessed as anyone we ever saw, but he's got other passions and creativity. And we see that as, as he's now retired. So I'm just curious, is there anything else that you put that passion to and put that creativity into? Well, I'm really into uh, history. So, you know, I, I'm passionate about that. So if that is a thing, I don't know. I love to read. I love to, um, I played in Russia for five years, six years. And, um, you know, I've been through throughout Europe and I love going to, you know, like world war two sites is there was huge historical tank battle sites and, you know, standoffs and monuments and museums that I went to while I was there. And so that was kind of like a challenge to myself. Um, You know, I went to a concentration camp. I went to Auschwitz. And anytime there was anywhere near, you know, no matter how tired I was, I was like, 
this is an opportunity that I'm going to look back on. And if I pass on it, I'm going to wish I did it. And so um, that's what I try to do as I travel is to like really experience the culture and to, you know, to learn. Is that natural for you or do you have to push yourself to put, put yourself into those situations and in those environments? I think at first, you know, we often, we often always seek like the immediate reward, like very rare. Like you have to have a lot of self-discipline to like, you know, kind of like pause and say, no, this isn't going to benefit me in the long run, you know? And I think that's what I had as I was growing up is, you know, you want to seek the immediate reward. And honestly, like a lot of times when I'm traveling in these cities, the immediate reward is sleep and rest. And, but, you know, as I did more things, I realized like when you do more things, you have the memory of the experience that lasts with you forever. Like I can't even imagine if I, I mean, I went to Auschwitz in between two practices and if I wouldn't have experienced that, I have a whole different viewpoint, a whole different, you know, mindset towards, you know, that period of time. And so just to not be able to experience that. What is, what is learning about history do for you and, and your mindset and your mentality and, and probably even more so your view on the world and, and how you see the world? Well, people ask me what's like the biggest um, quality that I want to instill in my, my eight-year-old daughter. And that's empathy. Like, I think if you can empathize, then you're a good human being. And I, I think that's what I'm developing through traveling is empathy is experiencing different time cult, you know, time periods is seeing what other people went through. Cause then you realize like an ACL isn't so bad. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like an ACL injury, there's other far worse things, um, that other people have had to persevere through. So it gives you perspective and, uh, maybe some gratitude for where you are and how you're living and what you have and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, definitely speaking of perspective, I want to go back a little bit. So you go to Tennessee, uh, and you play for one of the legends in sports, right? And Pat summit, um, I don't care male, female basketball, other sports, um, She's someone I study. She's someone I try to read up on. Um, what was it like playing for her? And I would also, I'm also just curious the decision to go play for her because you could have gone anywhere, I'm assuming, in the country. Um, why go there? Um, you know, it sounds like you like to be unique and like to sort of blaze your own path. Um, but why go to, to Tennessee and why play for her? You know, Coach Summit, I... I look at her like a second, second mom, you know, having played for her, it was far more than playing for her. Like I played for her in life, you know, she was my teacher in life and, um, she was far more than a basketball coach. Um, when you're shaping somebody between the years of 18 and 22, that's a very important time. And there's a lot of coaches that shape from the mentality of, do as I say, not what I do. But Coach Summit always did what she wanted us to do. She demonstrated it. She was our leader. She was our inspiration. She was our role model in everything she did on and off the court. And that's why in interviews, very rarely will you hear me talk about on the court stuff. Because yeah, did she make me a better basketball player? Heck yeah. But off the court, 
the way that I approach things, my mentality, respect. I mean, I, I learned a lot about respect during my years there because one of the big, biggest lessons I learned from her was just like, she knew the janitor's name. She knew <laughs> the woman at the post office. Like she respected everybody. Um, nobody was more important. Um, the way she did her signature, you know, I, I, I tell this story all the time. I, I got called in, I was upset, you know, frustrated because I had to take my day off and come in and sign like, you know, a hundred cards. So I go in there, I quickly, I do my CP3 autograph and I rush out of there. And I glance to my right as I'm leaving the basketball office and she's sitting in there meticulously signing Pat Summit on every single ball. And there's balls down the hall as far as I can see. And for me at that moment, I was like, you know, I went in there, I knocked on the door. I was like, what are you doing? You know, like you're going to, you're going to be here forever. And she's like, the person that gets this ball is going to know that everything I had went into it. Like I wasn't rushed. They're as important as the next person. And that stuck with me. Um, you know, that's who she was and that's who she tried to make us be. Talk about perfectionism or attention to detail. Um, like to me, that sounds a little neurotic, right? Like I'm going to make sure that everything is right. And someone might look at that and say, gosh, like she's a perfectionist. Um, how do you apply that to your life, to basketball, um, that lesson? How do you, how do you make that tangible in your life? Well, it's so crazy how people want to do the big things, right? Like in the championship game, you want to like focus on making free throws and making sure your jump shot's perfect. But like, how is that championship game any more important than the games that got you there? Like if you're not doing it in the games leading up to it, you're not going to be able to do it in the championship. So for me, it's like, to her, it was super extreme. And like, that's what perfection is. Like you watch Pat sit there and sign her autograph. Perfect. Attention to detail. That's the little things. I watched Kobe 2008, um, Beijing, Beijing Olympics. The women, we had mandatory practice. Men, it was optional. Kobe was the only one from that 08 team that came in. He did form shooting for an hour and a half. Like, form shooting. That's standing two feet from the basket and mimicking your follow-through for an hour. Like, that's not attention to detail. And if he has to do it, he's the greatest player in the world. I don't know why any of us would think otherwise. You know, So that, to me, that speaks to me. So what do you do? What do you do that when no one's watching – that is that attention to detail because look, we can talk about Kobe. We can talk about Pat. Um, they're incredible, but so are you. Um, and, um, you. you've got, you've got accolades and, um, have had an amazing career, high school, college pro, you know, you played in three different sandboxes and have had success in, in all of them. So what's it like when no one's watching Because people can watch you on TV, like you said, and see those big moments, but I agree with you. It's all about compilation of moments. Um, no, no moment is bigger than the other. What, what are you doing when no one's watching? You know, I'm failing. Like I'm not succeeding all the time. I think it's funny because I look on Instagram and it's like these people working out all hard and like they're making every shot. They're like, oh, like off season work. And they're like showing on the video every shot that they've made. But like for every shot that they're making, they're missing a lot too. So for me, it's like, I miss. And the reason why I miss, I figure out why I miss. And that's the attention to detail. I feel like, you know, like it's the improvement. Everybody wants to do things perfect, but it's not going to be that way. Like, I think what I, what my attention to detail is, is like trying to sharpen up things. Um, not necessarily just improving my weaknesses, but also improving the things that I'm good at. Like you have to have some sort of, you know, 
skill? What separates you from the rest? And to me, it's like, you have to improve those as well. So I'd love for you to riff on this with me for a minute. Um, I have this theory that great performers have a different mindset for preparation than they do for performance. And the theory is basically goes something like this. We should be humble in our preparation so we can be confident in our performance. We should be somewhat neurotic in our preparation so that we can have a little bit of narcissism when we're performing. We should be perfectionist in our preparation so that we can be adaptable when we're performing. I would love to get your, and I have a list of like 20 of those. I love I that. I, I like wanna, that. I don't want to like fear failure in preparation so we can be fearless when we're performing. Um, and those are big words. And I know they're big words, neuroticism, narcissism, perfectionism, fear of failure. Um, but what I've found in the work that I do is that a lot of times people have those, the preparation mindset and the mistake they make is they bring that perfectionism to the performance like, and it paralyzes them or they bring the neuroticism to the performance and that paralyzes them or the, they bring their humility to the performance and, you know, they're not able to perform with confidence because they're still in that, that growing mode or I don't even say growing mode. They're still in the, uh, the preparation mindset of like trying to make things perfect. How do you make sense of what I just talked about? And if you could give us examples, if it resonates, give us examples of how you set your mind when you're working on form shooting or defense or footwork or a hook shot or the, the nuances of the game versus when we roll the ball out in a WNBA game or a game overseas and it's a competition. Like how do you set your mind differently for each of those? Well, I used to be that, like, I think to some extent I still revert back to my old perfectionist hold back. And honestly, I realize I play so much better when I'm free. Um, you have to be a little bit, we call it a little crazy to be great at something. And, but you have to be crazy in your practice. Like you can't be crazy when you perform, you know? Um, and I would say, I look at it like autopilot. Like you train your robot to do what you're supposed to do in training. And then when it comes time to perform, it's on autopilot. And you try to like take the mind out as, po as much as possible. Because I think your mind is what screws you up. Like your mind is what limits you. Your mind is what te tells you you can't do things. And so with that being said, like imagine if we didn't give our mind that power. Like, you know, imagine how great we would be. Like, People are like, man, I've made 100 free throws in the game. Well, is the free throw line any farther back in the game? Is the free throw line moving? Is the basket moving? Like, is anything different? No, it's your mind. It's the pressure. It's, you know, that type of thing. Um, so I remember I, I learned, and it wasn't too long ago. I mean, it was this past summer even. Um, I missed two critical free throws overseas that could have won us our series. And after everything was over, I remember asking myself, like, what did you think when you were shooting those free throws? And I remember my mind was racing. I was nervous, like anybody would be. But my self-talk wasn't positive. Like, it wasn't like, hey, Candace, you shot these free throws millions of times in your career. It was, I hope I don't miss, you know? And... I told myself, I will never do that again. If I miss, it'll just because I, be because I miss. It will not be because of what happened in between my ears. It's, it's so cool. Uh, 
like when I, there's so much to unpack there. First off, the autopilot thing, like pilots will go through every check, right? And make sure everything is, they're so meticulous with what they need to do if they're doing their job right. But then the actual flying part is mostly on autopilot. Like they don't actually mm -hmm. have to make decisions. So I think that's very similar. Um, but then the second thing that, you know, on my list is use the mind and preparation so you can use the body when you're performing. And that's what, to me, what you just went through is like, you did use your mind in reflection to say like, all right, what was going on there? And you also said earlier, when you're preparing and you're working on things, you're like, all right, well, why didn't this work? Or why didn't that work? That curiosity, that creativity is beautiful in preparation. It's just when we have a free throw or we're in a close-ended space that that can lead to overwhelming thoughts, which can lead to choking or tension or um, us performing not to our abilities. Because if we overthink, and usually choking is a result of overthinking, um, that's what that's what can go down in that situation. So um, it, to me, that's such a good example. And athletes often say, I'm at my best when I don't think. Um, and I often challenge them to say, you're just thinking about the right things. You're, you're, you're just thinking and you're processing the right information. It's not that you're shutting off from thinking. Your thinking just becomes clearer in those moments. Um, do you have any, any I, more thoughts? Yeah, because I agree with that. Um... I agree with that statement. Like, I think you can't overthink. Um, like, how can I put this? Like, I agree with that statement where you shouldn't be overthinking, but I think it's also important to like, let it go. Like you can think, but that plays over. And then the game overtakes you. If you're, if you're dwelling on that play, like I used to hate to miss shots, the perfectionist in me, like I hate missing shots. So let's say I'd go and I miss my first three shots. I would still be thinking about the first three shots that I missed, but I'm not focused on like, the defensive play that I made or the assist that I made, like we, we tend to focus on the negative and dwell on it, but then, you know, our success, we're just like, ah, that, you know, that doesn't matter or whatever. And so I think it's next play. Like, what can I learn when I'd miss a shot now? It's like, okay, I miss, it's not, I miss a shot. Dang it. It's okay. I missed a shot. Right. So next time I'm not going to miss a shot. Right. I'm going to, if I'm going to miss it, it's going to be left. Okay. I missed a shot short. I'm not going to miss a shot short anymore. I'm going to make sure that I use my legs and get through it as opposed to focusing on just like the result. Where does confidence come from? Ah, I think confidence comes from uh, constant preparation, honestly, like being prepared. Like when are you most confident in a test? Like when you roll over and you just do it and you get an A and you didn't deserve it or you're confident in a test when you're like, I prepared for this test. Like I studied all the material. I know the answers. Like, and sometimes you can will yourself into the right way of doing things or the right answer just because you feel like you're properly prepared. So I think that's the first part, but I think there's a second part. So I'm, I'm going to push you a little bit here and nudge you along right. like your dad used to do. Um, so yeah. Okay. So going into the game, did I prepare? Am I ready to go? But what do you do in those moments where you're 0 for five or you're 0 for six or uh, you turn the ball over three times? Like what are you doing there to make sure that you're still confident on that next play? Like you talked about before. You know, what's funny is I, I keep going back to Kobe, but I'm in LA, so I can't help it. Um, he has a lot of great quotes, but he says that he's he's taken too many jump shots and he's worked too hard and prepared too much not to succeed. So for him, if he goes 0 for 5, 
then he has a whole lot better chance of hitting the next five than the other average. Or this may not be his game, but he's going to keep shooting because he's prepared and worked hard enough to deserve that right to continue to shoot or deserve that right. And so I think it's like deserving the right. Like Coach Summit would always talk about like, don't go out and shoot threes if you don't practice them. Like if you don't practice your threes or you don't practice layups and you're sick of missing layups, don't go out and shoot layups. Like you're not, you haven't earned it. Like you haven't, you haven't, you haven't earned your equity. Like you haven't. She used to say that all the time. And so I think for me, that's where you have to get confidence. It's like, I've done this move too many times or I've shot the shot too many times for the next one not to go in. Yeah. So it's interesting. I had Leron Prophet on the podcast and Leron played in the NBA for a number of years and played with Kobe. And he said the exact same thing. Leron came in at halftime one game. Kobe was like two for 11. And Leron's like, Kobe, you're good. Like, you'll be okay. And he said, Kobe looks at him and is like, I know. Of course I am. He's like, what, you think I worked my ass off that hard for it not to fall? I'm going to be, and he said in the second half, he just tore it up. Um, mm. but, but that part is, it's the, the dialogue we have with ourselves. You mentioned self-talk earlier, right? That is the interpretation of the circumstance or the interpretation of the situation. And the dialogue we have with ourselves in that moment is what dictates the confidence. And players and athletes always say like, oh, well, that coach instilled confidence in me. And I often call BS on them because a coach may say the same thing to two players and one player may interpret it and be like, gosh, coach really thinks that about me. I'm not that good. I can't make that happen. And the next player might say like, yeah, I'm good. Like I've got this, like, let's go. So it's mm-hmm. really that inside out dialogue that we have with ourselves, which you hit on earlier, which is like, all right, it's a little left. All right. I'm going to hit it right. All right. It's a little short. Now I'm good. So confidence to me, it's, it's yes, I'm humbly prepared. I've earned it. I've earned my equity. I love that phrase. And when I'm in it, there is no other option because I'm in it. So let's make sure that I'm still telling myself I'm good, even if reality or logic may say that I'm not. Um, and so talk about logic because you have done things for a female athlete dunking a basketball, right? Like that people probably told you you can't do or you shouldn't do. Um, Talk about what it's like to be a female athlete, to be a female basketball player and the uniqueness, you used that word earlier and how that, what what that means to you to maybe break barriers or to do things that other people would say you can't or you shouldn't do. I think it goes back to wanting to be like who I am. And this has been a process, you know, the natural The natural want, I should say, the natural desire is to be accepted and to be like everybody else. But a lot of times, like other people can't do things. So they tell you, you can't do them either because everybody wants to be like everybody. You know, you want to feel like, you know, the same. And I think, you know, my, my coach, my dad, everybody always challenged me not to, to let others expectations or what they think I am bring me down or devalue myself. And so for me, my, my expectations have always been higher. And I think can't is just like, all right, I'll show you I can. And honestly, from the times that I've failed and not been able to show people or show myself that I can, I still accomplish something in the process. It's not a total failure. Um, 
and I use failure lightly because I think sometimes people think just because you didn't get what you wanted, you failed, but it's like, look at the other things you succeeded in as a result of it. And so I think everything is a learning process. And at 18, 20 years old, I probably wasn't ready to hear this. Like, yeah. All right. Like I failed. I didn't get what I wanted, but I will say the tale of two years, we won the championship last year. We won the championship. That's, that was a goal of ours. You know, it felt amazing this year. We lost, but I can honestly say we did everything we prepared. I can sleep at night because yeah. Did we fail in not reaching our goal of winning a championship? Yes. But I learned so many things and I don't have regrets along the way. And so I think that that's kind of, I know that was everywhere (laughs) from your question, but that's kind of the way that I, I look at things. What did you learn? I learned how important if I had forgotten the little tiniest things are. People are talking about us winning. We lost game four and game five. We were up two to one in the series. They tied it. And then we went to um, Minnesota to play game five. We didn't have home court advantage, right? There's a game that I remember back in June. We were playing Seattle after getting our butts whooped by Minnesota. I played terrible in Minnesota first game. That game, if we would have won that game, we would have had home court advantage. But we weren't focused in that Seattle game. But that could have changed the entire dynamic of the playoffs. That could have changed the entire outcome. Something so small as winning a game on the road. Our records were the same. We would have had home court advantage if we would have won that game. So to me, I learned how important the little things are. I mean, you can't over... You can't over-exaggerate how important the little things are. I did my thesis on home advantage in the NBA, and I interviewed NBA players and got their take on why this advantage exists in like every sport. Um, it's pretty incredible. Why do you think it exists? Why do you think there's a home advantage? Um, whether you're playing in Russia or you're playing in Minnesota or Los Angeles or wherever, um, why do you think that exists? Well, I think it's where you've prepared. So, you know, you're not removing your mind or your body from being familiar with your preparation. It's a confidence, um, kind of like home. Like when you, you sleep better at home than you do in hotels because it's home, you're familiar with it. Um, I think there's a calm, you know, there's a calm about it. So when you experience some type of discomfort, when the other team goes on a run, you're more calm at home. Um, Obviously, not to mention the fans and, and things like that, but I just think it boils down to being familiar with, with the situation. One of the things that I was surprised to hear as I correlated all the players' answers was that the messaging from the coaching staff is different at home than on the road. So at home, they're going to tell them, hey, let's go out, let's, let's attack, let's be aggressive, let's take it to them. Like, We've got this. And on the road, it's often let's steal one or let's take care of the ball. Um, So I'm curious if you think about that at all from a mindset standpoint of 
what is my mindset when I'm at home versus on the road? And by the way, they, they talked about comfort. They talked about fans. They talked about there's a referee bias that's been written about. Um, so there's definitely other factors. But the one thing that I was surprised that I hadn't thought of when I went into the research was what is the messaging that our coaches are giving to us? And then what's the message that we're giving to ourselves? Like, um, and, you know, I, I, especially in the NBA, like back-to-back games, uh, when they're on the road, it's almost like a defeatist mindset. Like, all right, well, let's just try to steal it. Um, and I was watching a game last night, an NBA game, and I could tell the road team just, they, they're, they're, they're one of their stars. One of their starters was out hurt. Um, and you could just see the intensity level. They were on the road. They were in back-to-back. It was like, you could just see it. It what they weren't, they didn't believe that it was actually going to happen. So I've talked way too much. So I'm just curious to get your your thought on uh, like aggression or intensity or focus on the road versus at home. I definitely think your focus is um, a lot more at home, you know, in terms of, you know, it's more of a you have to, you know, like this is a must win. Like this is something that we should do. I mean, I look at the mentality going in from even game one to game two, we played two games on the road. First game we won. Second game, we let up a little bit. We were, we didn't get greedy. We, we talked about getting greedy. Let's take two, let's steal two on the road. But even like you, like you were saying the wordage of it, steal, like, why does it have to be a steal? Like you're tossing the ball up. They're shooting at a basket. We're shooting at a basket. Like technically, I mean, not to quote the Hoosiers, but, it's the same distance <laughs> everywhere on the court as it is at home. Um, the things that we allow to define the outcome are things that are not within, you know, the 94 feet of the court. So um, I think it goes back to, like you said, being mental for sure. It's interesting. I had one player that I interviewed who was like, I play better on the road. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, go look up my stats. So I looked up his stats and he did. He plays better on the road. And this is a guy Gosh, this was a long time ago. This was like eight years ago. He's still mm-hmm. in the he's still in the league. Um, so he's probably been in the league. God, he's he's probably been in the league like seventeen years. It's like he, great career. And he said to me, he's like Brian, when I'm on the road, my family's not there. I don't have to worry about tickets. I know exactly. I get room service at this time. I get grilled chicken and veggies. I don't have to worry about eating, you know, bad food. Um, you know, the bus is going to pick me up. I know exactly when I have to be downstairs to be at the bus. I don't have to worry about traffic uh, and drive into the stadium. Um, and he's like, you, you mentioned a word earlier, Candace, you said the word free. Um, and when I talked to this player, it was basically him explaining that on the road, he's more free and his style of play is very aggressive. It needs to be like green light. Um, he's a shooter, he's a scorer. And so, um, you know, I, I, what I would think about and what I always think about with the athletes I work with is like, all right, what is my mindset at home? And what's my mindset on the road for that player? If he's better on the road, I would say, all right, how do we bring that freedom to home? Um, and you know, for the guys that struggle on the road, how do we make sure we have the aggression? Cause basketball rewards aggression, right? If you attack the hoop and you create body contact, you're probably going to go to the free throw line where mm-hmm. That, that's a good opportunity for you and your team, right? Like, um, yeah. it, sure, there are charges and we can be over-aggressive, but oftentimes, like, an aggressive team is going to rebound better, they're going to defend better. So it's just an interesting concept and, um, you know, something, something to chew on for us for sure. Um, I want to get your thoughts on championship teams. So you mentioned 
you guys didn't win in the championship this year. You won last year. And then obviously at Tennessee, uh, you also are a champion there. Um, walk me through what you see in championship teams. And you've also been on championship teams uh, overseas as well. So what are there any correlations that you notice in championship teams? Um, any themes that arise uh, that you look at back on your career and you've noticed? I think there's two things that stick out to me. Um, I think championship teams, there's a point in the season where um, I know there has been in every season where something happens where it basically reveals character. And, you know, in years past, I, I can remember right before the Connecticut game, uh, Coach Summit kicked one of our players out of practice. And I remember we rallied around that player, not defending her because she was in the complete wrong and Pat was completely right. But we rallied around her like, we need you. Like, to win a championship, like, we need everybody to be held accountable. And to. And I don't know if a lot of teams would have had the maturity or the character to do that. Uh, where we had our meeting, we talked about it, but then we did what we talked about. Um I also believe that championship teams, and I'm going to keep saying this, they do the little, littlest things. I didn't realize how important it was to be, you know, I wanted to be a championship team. We all did for like the eight years I was in the WNBA. But it's like, we didn't want to do the little things. Like we didn't want to rebound. We didn't want to like be number one in the WNBA in defensive efficiency. We didn't want to, win the games that we had to on the road so we put ourselves in position to have a home court advantage. So I think it's just like recognizing those little things. And I think you need two players on your team. You need a leader and you need an asshole. And if you have those two things, you know, you're going to be successful. Which, which of those do you go toward? <laughs> I kind of waver back and forth. I feel like I'm a little bit of both. Um, I challenge the grain. I, I get in discussions with my coach. Um, but I think sometimes it's understanding where that person comes from, you know, and I'm going to voice my opinion. It might not be in the, what you want to hear, but if you ask me, I'm going to tell you my opinion, you know, and what, what we think the team needs. And, um, I think that that's, you know, that's what every team has to have. Yeah. If you could replace asshole with honesty, right. And like, like, like brutal honesty, like the person that's going to call it like they see it uh, and just have the brutal honesty, they might be viewed as an asshole. So it might be the same thing, but I think that's what you're talking about is like somebody that's going to speak up and say, no, we're not doing it right. Or yeah, we won by 20, but we could have played better or, um, you know, Hey, you're doing X or your Y or Hey, like, you're not caring enough or whatever it is. The person that's willing to confront with honesty um, is, is it's, it's hard. Cause like you said earlier, I think it's easier to fit in. It's easier to say nothing. It's easier to that. That's what humans I think often want. Yet if you have someone who's willing to stick out for the benefit of the team, right? Like that's a different thing. Cause you have people that want to stick out for the benefit, benefit of themselves. That's different. But someone that's willing to put themselves out there cause it's going to benefit the team. Um, that's, that's a little different. I agree. Uh, I think 
what I've learned later on in my career is so many people focus on the results, but we won. So we must've done this. Um, but to me, it's like, no, you have to focus on every little aspect of things. Like, because to me, a win is a, is a measurement of everybody else. You beat everybody else's maybe like, that's what they could give that day. But like what you gave, what percentage of that was you? Like what percentage of that was like all that you could give? And honestly, like when I would judge myself, you know, my brothers would always mess with me because they could always tell my stats when we're down by 20 or we lose by 10 or it's a close game versus when we win by 20. We win by 20. I coast. I'm passing. I'm not aggressive. I'm like, we won this game. Like, no, it doesn't matter. But it's like in those moments, it does matter because it prepares you to be able to like take a hit maybe in a close game or Maybe those are free throws that you're going to miss later. So I think it's just, it's that type of mindset that results are just half the story. Like Talent is something that you, it sounds like you were talented, right? Like uh, high school, it's not like you were some unknown, like, like you're talented. Um, you go to Tennessee, you're talented. You're the number one pick. You're talented. What advice do you give to people that are labeled gifted or talented uh, from a young age? I would say that's, uh, I don't think I would hold that with anything. Uh, there's been so many different talented people that have potential that don't have the tools to grow it. And to me, it's talented in what, what, what way? Like, are you talented for what you can get everything out of your body. Like you meet people that are like so skilled that you're like, they got everything out of their body that they could possibly get. They are so skilled shooting. They're dribbling. They have worked as hard as they can and they can't get any more ounce of anything out of their body. They're, they're living up to their entire potential. Or you have people that are like, they're so talented to compare to other people, but they could be so much better. And I didn't ever want to be that person where it was like, Oh, she's just like talented because She's tall. She's six, four. She can move. I didn't ever want to be that. And I think that that's what's pushed me and, and, and motivated me is I, I, I think potential is just that until you actually make something of it. What's the best compliment someone could give you? The best compliment or compliment that somebody could, could ever give me would be on the court. would be that they're fearful to play me. Like, I want to be feared. Like, I feel like, you know, everybody played against that person that they are, they had like a mental thing against like, Oh, they're so good. But like, you never let that person know, but you have that like, dang, like they're hard to guard. They're mentally tough. They, they never stop. They're relentless. Like I want to be that. And I'm still striving to be that where it's like a fear factor as well as like, they're relentless. Like they just, they just find a way. Would you rather be feared or respected? I'd rather be both. Pick one. <laughs> I got to pick one. I think in a sense, when you respect somebody in a sense, you're, you're not, you may not be fearful of them, but you know that they're the best. Like they, 
they've earned your respect. So I would say respected. Interesting. And you mentioned on the court. So I'm curious what, what's the best compliment someone could give you away from the court, like from a human standpoint? From a human standpoint, I love to hear that I've grown. Like I love to hear about growth because I think as a human being, like I hope I'm not the same that I, that I was when I was 22, 23. And I hope I'm going to be far better person than I am when I'm, you know, 40, 42. Um, so for me, it's like, I love hearing growth. Like, you know, I, I, my plan in life is to grow, you know, grow every year, grow my knowledge, grow in experience, um, grow in my patience. Like, I, I think just that's for me would be the best compliment. And you mentioned the journal earlier and that idea of getting 25% better. Are there other mental skills that you apply to your craft? I think mentality. I love reading. Like That's why when I heard about this interview being psychology and all that stuff, um, I minored in it in college and I'm really into it. Um, I read all the books, everything um, right now. Um, I'm reading one of Carol Dweck's books, Mindset. Um, my favorite book that I read probably maybe once every six months is Chop Wood, Carry Water. Um, I'm really into that. Like that's just the mindset, why we're the way we are. Um, you know, I've read Outliers. I've read Blink. I've read all these books. And to me, the best quote that has stuck out in all of that is surrendering the outcome. And I think so, so many times we control so much in our lives that sometimes to relinquish control is the hardest thing. But when you relinquish control, you have this trust. And how do you gain that trust? You gain that trust by preparing. And so for me, um, you know, in reading and, and different things, it's surrendering the outcome. It's keeping both eyes on the journey and the destination will take care of itself. And what's driving you right now? As you sit here, you know, you've had a successful professional career. You had an illustrious college career, high school career. Like, what is it that you get up in the morning and you're like, yeah, let's do it. Like, what, what's driving you? Well, I will say results don't matter, but they taste good. Uh, I tasted a championship and it, the WBA championship was the hardest thing to date that I've fought for and that I've worked towards and that I've went to bed dreaming about and that I've obsessed lost sleep over. And once you taste like what success quote unquote can be measured by, um, I, you want to do it again. So for me, it's, it's that, and it's inspiring my eight year old daughter. I mean, Layla, whether she wants to come into the role or not, I mean, she's totally my inspiration. Everything I do is for her and so that she doesn't set limits in what she can accomplish. And you grew up in Chicago watching, you know, MJ. Um, you were in L.A. with, you know, Kobe across the way. Uh, you came into the WNBA with Lisa Leslie uh, being there. Um, how do you think about those types of people. Are there other people that you sort of study and observe and watch? Just give us some perspective on how you think about greatness um, and how you apply that to uh, your career. Well, I think greatness is um, like more of a reflective 
type of trait, I guess you would say. Like, you can't really, you kind of look back on it and you're like, wow, like that person was great. But like in the midst of it, you can't focus on greatness. Like you want to be great every day. But if you keep telling yourself that, I mean, I guess it's positive self-talk, but what motivates you to want to be greater? Um, So I think for me, it's just like, you have to surround yourself with positive people, surround yourself with positive talk. And like, I mean, your road might be different, but it doesn't hurt to like, kind of look at other people's paths as well. Like for me, it was kind of like when I went through my injuries, like, you know, MJ broke his foot, you know, um, there's been numerous players that have had torn ACLs, um, that have come back and played. Uh, and for me, it was just kind of looking at their stories and what they did and trying to kind of create my own story, but using them as motivation. When you talked about the road less traveled, the person I actually went to in my head was your brother, Anthony. Um, give people perspective on his journey. Um, cause that it's, it's one of the more incredible journeys as, as you look back at the NBA over the last 20 years. Um, so give people some insight into him and, and how did that impact you, uh, having an older brother who is on a path less traveled or a journey less traveled to go on and be a very good NBA basketball player, but give people some perspective on his journey and, and as an observer and someone who was up close to watching it, I know you have another brother as well, but give us some perspective on Anthony's journey and how that impacted you. Well, both of my brothers have been my heroes, um, since I can remember, I mean, I couldn't have asked for better role models in everything. Um, I'll tell you the end result. I mean, I don't know if it's the end because Anthony's huge in growth and there's more to come for both of them. But I mean, he had a successful NBA career, had a successful professional career, Um, you know, played in the NBA for 10 plus years. Marcus, you know, people kind of mention him on the side, but I mean, he's, he went to medical school, medical school at Johns Hopkins, was one of seven people that were accepted for residency. And now he's a radiologist and he lives in Tampa with his family, his wife as well as a doctor. Um, so I have some pretty cool, successful role models, you know, in the sense. Um, but I think the thing for me is, you know, mindset. Anthony was just like, I'm going to play the hand that I'm dealt. Like it's the one that (laughs) I chose, you know, like it's the one that I wanted. And that's how his mentality has always been. Um, But he didn't go go right, right? Like he had to go. No, like he. in Israel. I mean, like. Like he went to Bradley University, wasn't recruited. My dad called up his alma mater, Iowa, where my my dad played four years of, of Big Ten ball and asked him to recruit my brother. And they said no, they wouldn't recruit him, didn't bring him there, went to Bradley he was going to be the number one shooting guard in the draft of 96, decided to stay for a senior year. He broke his foot, dropped. He, he got drafted number 21 uh, in the 97 draft, played three years in the NBA, ended up going to, you know, at that time, uh, what was it, the CBA? I think it was the CBA. Got dropped out of the NBA, third year, went overseas, played in Israel, won three Euro League championships. Um Legend so over funny. There. I was Legend. over there with him yes, just this past summer. Geez. I was I didn't tell you this before we got started. I was in Israel this That's past awesome. summer and he was there with the NBA and I was there with a nonprofit called Peace Players and uh 
You know, you can you can tell someone by watching them from afar what they're really like. And I was just watching him and how he interacted with kids and, and all that stuff. And just you can you can learn a lot by someone just watching someone in an unfamiliar setting. And he he's just a good human right being. In. Yeah. Yep. He's <laughs> just a good he's a great human being. Um, But yeah, he just kind of takes the takes what life throws at him and just is like, you know, I'm going to deal with it. He's broken his foot, you know, three times and every time he's used it to his advantage you know so i'd be remiss to ask is like what did mom and dad do to raise three kids that are all all quote unquote successful by (laughs) um you know our society's measurement but but seemingly sound it sounds like our our great humans um you know and are are successful in whatever career path what are the values or morals or lessons or stories that both mom and dad or, or, or whoever instilled in the three of you so that you ended up where you ended up? You know, I think it's more so just, you know, my mom and dad were into us. I mean, they put everything they had. They were the greatest parents. Um, they are the greatest parents, you know, that we could have ever asked for. Um, but I think it was just instilling hard work in, a, in, in us and, you know, making us feel important and, not setting limits. I mean, for me, it was like, I'm not going to treat you any different because you're a girl, you know? Um, I'll tell the story in terms of basketball, but my dad, (laughs) I had a stat line that was crazy in high school. It was like, the only reason why I know this is because we tell this story all the time, but I think it was like, I had 40, 15, six, like five block shots. And my dad was sitting up and I could always tell when my dad was mad because he'd always sit with his head to the side and he'd kind of lean back and look up in the stands and he wouldn't be looking at the game. And I would look up there and I'd be like, I'm doing something like, you know, I'm not doing something right, you know, whatever. And after the game was over, everybody, great game, Candace, great game, great game. My dad was like, there was a span of like five minutes in that game where if I would have looked up at the stats, you wouldn't have, I, you wouldn't have been the one that I picked that would have had that stat line. And that's how he parented us. That's how he coached us is that every second, every moment is a chance to, to improve and to be better. And that's kind of how we were brought up. I mean, we were diligent in everything. We weren't allowed to quit. Uh, I mean, I wanted to quit soccer because I found out I really loved basketball. He made me finish the season. We never quit at anything. We weren't allowed to. And so I think that that's something that I really have instilled in my daughter. Like, you don't quit. She took this art class. She didn't want to take. Nope, you're going to finish your sessions. And then afterwards, we can reevaluate things. But you're not going to be a quitter. So I hear grit. I hear complacency is the enemy of success. Like, you're never going to be complacent with where you're at. I hear hard work. And there's also this element um, of, of dreaming and, and don't be afraid to dream big. Um, and I'm sure seeing your brother having success basketball wise helped impact you as well to say like, yeah, I can, I can play at any level. Um, I can make, I can make it happen. Um, my last question is, is, is one that, you know, may cause some emotion to flare up. Um, but you had a game after coach summit passed where you played incredible, um, I would love to know your mindset for that game. Um, what you're thinking, how you're thinking about it. Um, could you take us to that game and sort of walk us through your process that, that night? Yeah, I was fortunate enough to, 
to be able to go back and and be with Coach Summit uh, before she passed away. And it's crazy because, you know, you have so much respect and so much that you want to say to a person that has impacted your life so much. And I remember, you know, I just said thank you for everything that she's done and I I will continue to pass on her legacy, you know, to to my daughter and the way that I play and how I represent her and her program and her philosophy and her ideals. And you know, I got a call earlier that morning that Coach Summit had passed away. And immediately you know, for me, it was like, now it was even more important for me to stand for everything that she believed in, you know, to, to demonstrate it. And I just remember, like, I don't know whether it was by chance or what, but that was my best rebounding game of my entire season, that, that game. And Coach Summit would always harp on me about rebounding. I mean, that was her philosophy. It was, you know, Candace, you're taking pictures. You know, I can hear her. Parker, like, are you going to rebound today? Do you feel like rebounding? Like, that's hard work. You don't want to do that. And I could hear all of that stuff in my head. Um, you know, she would always say defense, you know, offense sells tickets, defense wins games, rebounding wins championships. And that, like, echoed in my head that entire day. And, you know, that was my rebounding game did I play perfect no by any means I mean there were shots that I missed and things that I knew I could have done better but you know it was very ironic that was the game that you know was the rebounding game and there were so many emotions that went through going into that game but you know it was her that was present that entire time and you know she she held me up for sure Awesome. So I want to just give you a platform to let people know where can they find you on social media, um, anything that you're involved with that you want to promote. Uh, I just want to give you the floor. Uh, and, and I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being open and honest and um, being willing to share stories and ideas and how you think about uh, your mindset with me and, 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 you know, and with my community as well. So I know they're very appreciative, but they can't see you right now. So I'll thank you. Uh, <laughs> thank for you them. so much. But where can people find you if they want to follow, you know, your career and what you're up to? Uh, just throw that stuff out there. Well, I appreciate you giving me this platform. It's been a, um, been my pleasure to be on the show. I've learned a lot from you. Um, and, you know, look forward to hopefully having chats in the future and learning a little bit myself uh, from, from your podcast. But I would say um, you can follow me on Candace Parker on Twitter and on Instagram. Um, I really want to say that I'd hope that people would support, you know, the Pat Summit Foundation uh, for Alzheimer's. You know, I think that this is a disease that has affected so many of just loved ones, you know, people that we know, distant friends, grandparents, um, mothers, aunts, uncles, friends, everybody. And, you know, it's something that I hope that together we can defeat. Awesome. Well, we'll put that in the show notes and obviously encourage anyone that's ever had any experience with Alzheimer's knows how awful that disease is. And I think 
we all have a human obligation to do what we can to try to change change what's going on there. Um, thank you so much again for coming on. Uh, everyone, everyone can follow me on Twitter at Brian Levinson. And then the show is you can follow us at Instagram, uh, intentional underscore performers. And then the website's intentionalperformers.com. Again, it's thank you again so much thank and, you. and all the best on, on the rest of the year, which is, thank uh, you. which is a lot going on. So thank you so much for the time. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to intentional performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. Kept a journal, like goal journal. And my dad and I talk about it every year is to get 25% better. And we measure it, you know, it's tangible things. And um, kept a journal through injury. And it was the biggest thing for me and making sure that day to day I stay focused.